0: the Siege of Gondor. Pippin was roused by Gandalf. Candles lit in their chamber, for only a dim twilight came through the windows. The air was heavy, as with approaching thunder. What's the time? said Pippin, yawning. Past the second hour, said Gandalf. Time to get up and make yourself presentable. You are summoned to the lord of the city, and to learn your new duties. And will he provide breakfast? No, I have provided it. All that you'll get till noon. Food is now doled out by order. Pippin looked ruefully at the small loaf, and he thought a very inadequate patted butter, which is set up for him, beside a cup of thin milk. Why did you bring me here? He said. You know quite well, said Gandalf, to keep you out of mischief. And if you do not like being here, you can remember that you brought it on yourself. Pippin said no more. Before long he was walking with Gandalf once more down the cold corridor to the door of the Tower Hall. There Denethor sat in a grey gloom like an old patient spider, Pippin thought. He did not seem to have moved since the day before. He beckoned Gandalf to a seat, but Pippin was was left for a while standing unheeded. Presently the old man turned to him. Well, Master Peregrine, I hope that you used yesterday to your profit and your liking though I fear that the board is bearer in the city than you could wish. Pippin had an uncomfortable feeling that most of what he had said or done was somehow known to the lord of the city, and much was guessed of what he thought as well. He did not answer. What would you do in my service? I thought, sir, that you would tell me my duties. I will, when I learn what you are fit for, said Denethor, but that I shall learn soonest, perhaps, if I keep you beside me. This squire of my chamber has begged to leave to go to the out garrison, so you, sh- you shall take his place for a while. You shall wait on me, bear errands, and talk to me. If war and council leave me any leisure. Can you sing? Yes, said Pippin. Oh, y- yes, well enough for my own people. But we have no songs fit for the great halls and evil times, Lord. We, we seldom sing of anything more terrible than wind or rain. And most of my songs are about things that make us laugh, or about food or drink, of course.' "'And why should such songs be unfit for my halls "'or for such hours as these? "'We who have lived long under the shadow "'may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. "'Then we may feel that our vigil was not fruitless, "'though it may have been thankless.' "'Pippin's heart sank. "'He did not relish the idea of singing any song of the Shire "'to the Lord of Minas Tirith, "'certainly not the comic ones that he knew best. "'They were too, well, rustic for such an occasion. "'He was, however, spared the ordeal.' for the present. He is not commanded to sing. Denethor turned to Gandalf, asking questions about Rohirrim and their policies, and the position of Eomer and the king's nephew. Pippin marveled at the amount the lord seemed to know about a people that lived far away, though it must, he thought, be many years since Denethor himself had ridden abroad. Presently, Denethor waved to Pippin and dismissed him for a while. "'Go to the armories of the citadel,' he said, "'and get you their livery and gear of the tower. It will be ready. It was commanded yesterday.' Return when you are clad. It was, as he said, and Pippin soon found himself arrayed in strange garments, all of black and silver. He had a small ho its rings forged of steel, maybe, yet black as jet, and a high-crowned helm from small raven wings on either side, set with a silver star in the centre of the circlet. Above the mail was a short circuit of black, but broidered on the breast in silver with a token of the tree. His old clothes were folded and put away, those permitted to keep the grey cloak of Lorien, though not to wear it when on duty. He looked at it now. Had he known it, the verily Enul of Fineth, the prince of halflings, that folk had called him, but he felt uncomfortable. And the gloom began to weigh on his spirits. It was dark and dim all day. From the sunless dawn until the evening, the heavy shadow had deepened, and all hearts in the city were oppressed. Far above, a great cloud streamed slowly westward from the black land, devouring light, Born upon the wind of war, but below the air was still and breathless, as if all the Vale of Undoan waited for the onset of a ruinous storm. About the eleventh hour, released at last for a while from service, Pippin came out and went in search for food and drink to cheer his heavy heart and make his task of waiting more supportable. In the messes he met Beragond again, who had just come up from an errand over the Pelennor out to the guard towers upon the causeway. Together they strolled out to the walls, for Pippin felt imprisoned and doored, and stifled even the lofty citadel. Now they sat side by side again in the brazier looking towards the east, where they had eaten and talked the day before. It was sunset hour, but the great pall had now stretched far into the west, and only it sank, as it sank at last into the sea did the sun escape to send out a brief farewell gleam before the night even as Frodo saw it at the crossroads touching the head of the fallen king. But to the fields of Pelennor, under the shadow of Mindolin, there came no gleam. They were brown and drear. Already it seems years to Pippin since he had sat there before, in some half-forgotten time in which he had still been a hobbit, a light-hearted wanderer touched little by the perils he had passed through. Now he was one small soldier in a city preparing for a great assault, clad in the proud but sombre manner of the Tower of the Guard. In some other time and place, Pippin might have been pleased with his new array, but he knew now that he was taking part in no play. He was in deadly earnest, the servant of a grim master in greatest peril. The hauberk was burdensome, and the helm weighed upon his head. His cloak here cast aside upon the seat. He turned his tired gaze away from the darkling fields below, and yawned, and then sighed. Are you weary of the day? said Baragond. Yes, said Pippin, very, tired out with idleness and waiting. I've kicked my heels at the door of my master's chamber for many slow hours, while he has debated with Gandalf and the prince and other great persons. And I'm not used, Mr. Baragon, to waiting hungry on others while they eat. It is a sore trial for a hobbit, that. No doubt you will think I should feel the honour more deeply. But what is the good of such honour? Indeed, what is the good of even food and drink under this creeping shadow?' what does it mean? The very air seems thick and brown. Do you often have such glooms when the wind is in the east? Nay, said Baragon. This is no weather of the world. This is some device of his malice, some broil of fume from the mountain of fire that he sends to darken hearts and counsel. And so it does indeed. I wish Lord Faramir would return. He would not be so dismayed. But now, who knows if he'll ever come back across the river out of the darkness. Yes, said Pippin. Gandalf too was anxious. He was disappointed, I think, not to find Faramir here. And where has he got to himself? He left the Lord's council before noon meal, and in no good mood either. Perhaps he has some foreboding of bad news. Suddenly, as they talked, they were stricken dumb, frozen as it were to listening stones. Pippin cowered down his hands pressed to his ears, but Beragon, who had been looking out for the battlement as he spoke of Faramir, Remained there, stiffened, staring out with starting eyes. Pippin knew the shuddering cry that he had heard. It was the same that he had heard long ago in the marsh of the Shy. Now it had grown in power and hatred, piercing the heart with a poisoning despair. At last, Barrigan spoke with an effort. They've come, he said. Take courage and look. There are foul things below. Reluctantly, Pippin climbed onto the seat and looked out over the wall. The palinor lay dim from beneath them, fading away to the scarce guest line of the great river. But now, wheeling swiftly across it like shadows of untimely light, he saw in the middle ears below him like five bird-like forms, horrible as carrion fowl, yet greater than the eagles, cruel as death. Now they swooped near, venturing almost within barsh of the walls. Now they circled away. "'Black riders!' muttered Pippin. "'Black riders of the air!' But see, Baragon, he cried, they're looking for something, surely. See how they wheel and swoop always down to that point over there. And can you see something moving on the ground? Dark little things. Yes, men on horses, four or five. I can't stand it. Gandalf! Gandalf! Save us! After a long screech rose and fell, he threw himself back again from the wall, panting like a hunted animal. Faint and seemingly remote, though, that shuddering cry he heard winding up from below, the sound of a trumpet ending on a high note. Faramir! The Lord Faramir! It's his call! cried Berigon. Brave heart! But how can he win to the gate if these foul hellhawks have other weapons than fear? Look! They hold on! They will make the gate! No! The horses are running mad! No! Look! The men are thrown! They're running on foot! No! One is still up! He rides back to the others! That will be the captain! He can master both beast and men. Ah! There go one of the foul things and stooping on him. Help! Help! Will no one go out to him, Faramir! With that, Baragon sprang away and ran off to the gloom. Ashamed of his terror, while Baragon off the guard thought first of the captain whom he loved, Pippin got up and peered out. At that moment he caught a flash of white and silver coming from the north, like a small star down the dusky fields. It moved with the speed of an arrow and grew as it came, converging swiftly with the light of the four men towards the gate. It seemed to Pippin that a pale light was spreading about it and the heavy shadows gave way before it, and then as drew near he thought that he heard, like an echo on the walls, a great voice calling. Gandalf! Gandalf! He always turns up when things are darkest. Go on! Go on, White Rider! Gandalf! Gandalf! He shouted wildly like an outlooker on a great race, urging a runner who was far behind in encouragement. But now the dark, swooping shadows were aware of the newcomer. One wheeled towards him, but it seemed to Pippin that he raised his hand, and from it a shaft of white light stabbed upwards. The Nazgul gave a long, wailing cry and swerved away. And with that, the four others wavered. And then, rising in swift spirals, they passed away eastward, vanishing into the lowering cloud above, and down on the palinor. It seemed for a while less dark. Pippin watched, and he saw the horsemen and the white rider meet and halt, waiting for those on foot. Men now hurried out to them from the city, and soon they all passed from sight under the outer walls, and he knew that they were entering the gate. Guessing that they would come at once to this tower and the steward, he hurried into the entrance of the citadel. There he was joined by many others who had watched the race and the rescue from the high walls. It was not long before a clamour was heard in the streets leading up to the outer circles, and there was a much cheering and crying of the names of Faramir and Mithandra. Presently Pippin saw torches, and followed by a press of people, two horsemen riding slowly, one was in white but shining no longer, the other pale in the twilight as if his fire were spent or veiled. The other was dark and his head was bowed. They dismounted, and as grooms took Shadowfax and the other horse, they walked forward to the sentinel at the gate. Gandalf steadily, his grey cloak flung behind, and a fire still smouldering in his eyes. The other clad all in green, slowly, swaying a little as a weary or wounded man. Pippin pressed forward as they passed under the lamp beneath the gate arch, and he saw the pale face of Faramir as he caught his breath. It was the face of one who had been assailed by great fear or anguish, but had mastered it and was now quiet. Proud and grave, he stood for a moment as he spoke to the guard, and Pippin gazing at him saw how closely he remem- resembled his brother Boromir, whom Pippin had liked from the first, admiring the great man's lordly but kindly manner. Yet suddenly, for Faramir, his heart was strangely moved with a feeling that he had not known before. Here was one with an air of high nobility, such as Aragorn at times revealed. Less high, perhaps, yet also less incalculable and remote. One of the kings of men born into a later time, but touched with the wisdom and sadness of the older race. He knew now why Baragon spoke his name with love. He was a captain that men would follow, and that he would follow, even under the shadow of the black wings. Faramir, he cried aloud with the others, Faramir! And Faramir, catching a strange voice amongst the clamour of the men of the city, turned and looked down at him, was amazed. Whence come you, he said, a halfling, and in the livery of the tower, whence? But with that Gandalf stepped to his side and spoke. He came with me from the land of the halflings. He came with me, but let us not tarry here. There is much to say and to do, and you are weary. He shall come with us, indeed he must, for if he does not forget his new duties more easily than I do, he must attend his lord again within the hour. Come, Pippin, follow us. So at length they came to the private chambers of the Lord of the City. There, deep seats were set about a brazier of charcoal, and wine was brought. And there, Pippin hardly noticed, stood behind the chair of Denethor and felt his weariness a little. Oh, sorry, felt his weariness little, so eagerly did he listen to all that was being said. When Faramir had taken white bread and drunk a draught of wine, he sat upon a low chair at his father's left hand. Removed a little upon the other side sat Gandalf in a chair of carven wood and he seemed to at first be asleep for at the beginning Faramir spoke only of the errand upon which he had been sent out ten days before and he brought tidings of Athilion and movements of the enemy and his allies and he told of the fight on the road when the men of Harad and the great beast were overthrown a captain reporting to his master such matters that had often been heard before small things of the border war that now seemed useless and petty shorn of their renown. Then suddenly Faramir looked at Pippin. But now we must come to strange matters, he said, for this is not the first halfling that I've seen walking out of the northern legends into the southlands. At that, Gandalf sat up and gripped the arms of his chair, but he said nothing, and with a look stopped the exclamation on Pippin's lips. Denetha looked at their faces and nodded his head, as though in sign that he had read much there before it was spoken. Slowly, while others sat silent and still, Faramir told his tale, and with his eyes for the most part on Gandalf, though now and again, his glance strayed to Pippin, as if to refresh his memory of the others that he had seen. As the story was unfolded of his meeting with Frodo and his servant, and of the events at Hennethonun, Pippin became aware that Gandalf's hands were trembling as they clutched on the carven wood. White they seemed now, and very old as he looked at them, suddenly with a thrill of fear, Pippin knew that Gandalf... Gandalf himself was troubled, even afraid. The air of the room was close and still, close and still. At last when Faramir spoke of his parting with the travellers, and of their resolve to go to Surathungul, his voice fell, and he shook his head and sighed. Then Gandalf sprang up. Surath and Morgan Morganvale, he said. The time, Faramir, the time. When did you part with them? When would they reach that accursed valley? "'I parted with them in the morning two days ago,' said Varimir. "'It is fifteen leagues thence to the Vale of Morgodun, if they went straight south, "'and then they would still be five leagues westward of the accursed tower. "'At swiftest they would not come there before today, "'but maybe they have not come there yet. "'Indeed, I see what you fear. "'But the darkness is not due to their venture,' began yester-eve, "'and all the fillion was under shadow last night. "'It is clear to me that the enemy has long planned an assault on us.' and its hour had already been determined before ever the travellers left my keeping. Gandalf paced the floor. The morning of two days ago nine on three a day's journey. How far is the place where you parted? Some twenty five leagues as the bird flies, answered Faramir, but I could not come more swiftly. Yester Eve I lay at the Andros, in the long isle in the river northward where we hold in defence, and horses are kept on the hither bank. As the dark drew on, I knew that the haste was needed, so I rode thence with three others that could be horsed. The rest of my company I sent south to strengthen the garrison at the force of Osgiliath. I hope I have not done ill. He looked at his father. Ill? cried Denethor. His eyes flashed suddenly. Why do you ask? The men are under your command, or do you ask for my judgment on all your deeds? Your bearing is lowly in my presence, yet it is long now since you turned from your own way at my council. See, you have spoken as skillfully as ever, but I I have not seen your eye fixed on Mithundra, seeking whether you said well or too much. He has long had your heart in his keeping. My son, your father is old but not yet doted. I can see and hear, as is my wont, and little of what you have half said or left unsaid is now hidden from me. I know the answer to many riddles. Alas, for Boromir. If what I've done has displeased you, my father, said Faramir quietly, I wish I had known your counsel before the weight of so weighty a jun- burden of so weighty a judgment was thrust upon me. What would have availed you to change your judgment? said Denetha. You would have still done just so, I deem. I know you well. Ever your desire is to appear lordly and generous as a king of old, gracious and gentle. That may well befit one of high race if he sits in power and peace. But desperate hours, gentleness may be repaid with death. So be it, said Faramir. So be it, cried Denethor, but not with your death only, Lord Faramir, with the death also of your father and your people, whom is your part to protect now that Boromir is gone. Do you wish then, said Faramir, that our places had been exchanged? Yes, I wish that indeed, said Denethor, for Boromir was loyal to me and no wizard's pupil. He would have remembered his father's need and would have not squandered what fortune gave. He would have brought me a mighty gift. For a moment, Faramir's restraint gave way. I would ask you, my father, to remember why it was I, not he, that was an Athelian. On one occasion at least your counsel has prevailed, not long ago. It was the lord of the city that gave the errand to him. Stir not the bitterness in the cup I mixed for myself, said Denethor. Have I not tasted it now many nights upon my tongue, foreboding that worse yet lay in the dregs? As now indeed I find, were it not so, would that this thing had come to me. Comfort yourself, said Gandalf, in no case would Boromir have been brought to you. He is dead and died well. May he sleep in peace. Yet you deceive yourself. He would have stretched out his hand to this thing and taking it he would have fallen. He would have kept it for his own. He would have returned to you as someone you would not have known as your own son. The face of Denethor set hard and cold. You found Boromir less apt at your hand, did you not? he said softly. But I, who was his father, said that he would have brought it to me. You are wise, maybe, Mithandra, yet with all your subtleties you have not wisdom. Counsels may be found that neither the webs of wizards nor the haste of fools. I have in this matter more law and wisdom than you deem. What then is your wisdom, Sir Gandalf? Enough to perceive that there are two follies to avoid. One, to use this thing as perilous. At this hour, to send it into the hands of a witless halfling to the land of the enemy himself, as you have done, and the son of mine. That is madness. And the Lord Denethor, what would he have done? Neither. But I must sur- surely not for my argument have set this thing on a hazard beyond all the fool's hope, risking our utter ruin. If the enemy should recover what he has lost. Nay, it should have been kept hidden, hidden dark and deep, not used, I say, unless at the uttermost end of need, but set beyond his grasp, saved by a victory so final that when it befell would not trouble us being dead. I think you think as your want is, my lord, of Gondor only, said Gandalf, yet there are other men and other lives and time still to be, and for me I pity even his slaves.' "'And where will other men look for help if Gondol fails?' answered Denethor. "'If I had this thing now in the deep vaults of the citadel, "'we should not then shake with dread under this gloom, "'fearing the worst, and our counsels would be left undisturbed. "'If you do not trust me to endure the test, then you do not know me yet.' Nonetheless, I do not trust you,' said Gandalf. "'Had I done so, I could have sent this thing hitherto your keeping, "'and spared myself and others much anguish. "'And now, hearing you speak, I trust you even less, no more than Boromir. "'Nay, stay your wrath!' I do not trust myself in this either. I refuse this thing, even given freely as a gift. You are strong and still in some matters govern yourself, Denethor. Yet if you had received this thing, it would have overthrown you. Were it buried in the roots of Mindulion, still it would burn in your mind always. As the darkness grows, and yet worse things follow that soon shall be upon us. For a moment the eyes of Denethor glowed again as he faced Gandalf. And Pippin felt once more the strain between their wills. But now almost it seemed as if their glances were like blades from eyes to eye, flickering as they fenced. Pippin trembled, fearing some dreadful stroke, but suddenly Denethor relaxed and grew cold again. He shrugged his shoulders. If I had, if you had, he said. Such words and ifs are vain. It has gone to the shadow, and only time will show what doom awaits us in it. The time will not be long. And what is left, let all who fight the enemy in their fashion be one. And keep hope while they may. And after hope, still the hardihood to die free. He turned to Faramir. What think you of the garrison of Osciliath? It's not strong, said Faramir. I've sent the company of Athelion to strengthen it, as I've said. Not enough, I deem, said Denifer. It is there that the first blow will fall. They'll have needed some stout captain there there and elsewhere in many places,' said Faramir, and sighed. "'Alas for my brother, whom I too loved.' "'He rose. "'May I have your leave, father?' "'And then he swayed and leaned upon his father's chair. "'You are weary, I see,' said Denethor. "'You have ridden fast and far, and under shadows of evil in the air, I'm told. "'Don't speak of that,' said Faramir. "'Then we will not,' said Denethor. "'Go now and rest as you may.' Tomorrow's need will be sterner. All now took their leave of the lord of the city and went to rest while they still could. Outside there was a starless blackness as Gandalf with Pippin beside him bearing a small torch made their way towards the lodgings. They did not speak until they were behind closed doors. Then at last Pippin took Gandalf's hand. Tell me, he said. Is there any hope? For Frodo I mean, at least mostly for Frodo. Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head. There was never much hope, he answered. Just a fool's hope, as I've been told. And when I heard of Sirithungul, he broke off and strode towards the window as if his eyes could pierce the night in the east. Sirithungul, he muttered. Why that way, I wonder. He turned, just now, Pippin, my heart almost failed me hearing that name. And yet, in truth, I believe that the news that Faramir brings has some hope in it, for it seems clear that our enemy has opened his war at last to make first move, while Frodo was still free. So now, for many days, we have his eye turned this way and that, away from his own land. And yet, Pippin, I feel that from afar his haste—I feel from afar his haste and fear. He has become sooner than he would. Something has happened to stir him. Gandalf stood for a moment and thought. Maybe, he muttered. Maybe even your foolishness helped, my lad. Let me see. Some five days ago now, he would discover that we had thrown down Saramon and taken the stone. Still, what of that? We could not use it to much purpose or without his knowing. Ah, I wonder. Aragorn, his time draw near, draws near. And he is strong and stern underneath Pippin, bold, determined, able to make his own counsel and dare great risks in the need. That may be it. He may have used the stone and shown himself to the enemy, challenging him for this very purpose. I wonder. Well, we shall not know the answer till the riders of Rohan come, if they do not come too late. There are evil days ahead. Sleep while you may. But, said Pippin. But what, said Gandalf. Only one but will I allow tonight. Golem said Pippin. How on earth could they be going about with him, even following him? And I could see that Faramir didn't like the place he was taking any more than you could. What's wrong? I cannot answer that now, said Gandalf, yet my heart guessed that Frodo and Gollum would meet before the end, for good or for evil. But of Sirith Ungol I will not speak tonight, it's treachery, treachery I fear, treachery of that most miserable creature, but so it must be, Let us remember that a traitor may betray himself and do good that he does not intend to. It can be so sometimes. Good night. The next day came with the morning like a brown dusk, and the hearts of men, lifted for a while by the return of Faramir, sank low again. The winged shadows were not seen again that day, yet ever and anon, high above the city, a faint cry would come, and many who heard it would stand stricken with passing dread. While the less stout-hearted quailed and wept, and now Faramir was gone again. They gave him no rest, some murmured. The Lord drives his son too hard, and now he must do the duty of two for himself and for one that will not return. And ever men looked northward, asking, where are the riders of Rohan? In truth, Faramir did not go by his own choosing. But the Lord of the city was master of his council, and he was in no mood that day to bow to orders. Early in the morning the council had been summoned. There all the captains judged that because of the threat in the south their force was too weak to make any stroke of war on their own part, unless perchance the riders of Rohan should yet come. Meanwhile they must man the walls and wait. Yet, said Denethor, we should not lightly abandon the outer defences. The remiss made with such great labour, and the enemy must pay dearly for the crossing of the river." That he cannot do and forced to assail the city, neither north of Keir Andoros because of the marches, or southwards towards Lemenin because of the breadth of the river. That needs many boats. It is at Osgiliath that he will put his weight, as before when Baromir denied him passage. That was but a trial, said Faromir. Today we may make the enemy pay ten times our loss at the passage and yet rue the exchange, for he can afford to lose a host better than lose a company. And the retreat of those who have put out far afield will be perilous if he wins across in force. And what of Carandros? said the prince. That too must be held if Oscoliath is to be defended. Let us not forget the danger on our left. The Rohirrim may come, and they may not. But Faramir has told us of great strength drawing ever to the Black Gate. More than one host may issue from it and strike for more than one passage. Much must be risked in war, said Denethor. Karen Doris is manned, and no more can be sent so far. But I will not yield the river and the Penithlor unfought, not if there is a captain here who has still the courage to do his lord's will. Then all were silent. But at length, Faramir said, I do not oppose your will, sire, since you are robbed of Boromir. I will go and do what I can in stead, if you command it. I do command it, said Denethor. Then farewell, said Faramir, but if I should return, think better of me. That depends on the manner of your return, said Denethor. Gandalf, it was, that last spoke to Faramir ere he rode east. Do not throw your life away rashly or in bitterness, he said. You will be needed here for other things than war. Your father loves you, Faramir, and will remember it before the end. Farewell. So now Lord Faramir had gone forth again, and had taken with him such strength of men as were willing to go or could be spared. On the walls, some gazed through the gloom towards the ruined city, and they wondered what chance there, for nothing could be seen. And others as ever looked north and counted the leagues to Thad and Rehan. Will he come? Will he remember our old alliance? they said. Yes, he will come, said Gandalf, and even if he comes too late. But think, at best the Red Arrow can have reached him more than two days ago, and the miles are long from Edoras. It was night ere the news came. A man rode in haste from the fords, saying that the host had issued from Minister Morgul and was already drawing nigh at Osgiliath and had been joined by the regiments from the south Haradrim, cruel and tall. And we have learned, he said the messenger, that the black captain leads them once again and the fear of him has passed before him over the river. With those ill-boding words the third day closed since Pippin came to Minas Tirith. Few went to rest, for small hope had any now that even Faramir could hold the fords for long. The next day, though the darkness had reached its full and grew no deeper, it weighed heavier on men's hearts, and a great dread was on them. Ill news came soon again. The passage of Underwin was won by the enemy. Faramir was retreating to the wall of Pelennor, rallying his men to the causeway forts, but he was ten times outnumbered. If he wins back at all across Pelennor, his enemies will be on his heels, said the messenger. They have paid dear for the crossing, but less dearly than we hoped. The pain and the plan has been well laid. It is now seen that in secret they have long been building floats and barges in great number in Eskoth They swarmed across like beetles, but it is the black captain that defeats us. Few will stand and abide even the rumour of his coming. His own folk quail at him, and they would slay themselves at his bidding. Then I am needed here, there, more than here, said Gandalf. And he rode off at once, and the glimmer of him faded soon from sight. And all that night Pippin alone, sleepless, stood upon the wall and gazed eastward. The bells of the day had scarcely rung out again, a mockery in the unlighting dark, when far away he saw fires spring up across the dim spaces where the walls of Pellinor stood. The watchman cried aloud, and all men in the city stood to arms. Now ever in and anon there was a red flash, and slowly through the heavy air dull rumbles could be heard. They've taken the wall, men cried. They're blasting breaches in it. They're coming. Where is Faramir? cried Beragon in dismay. Say not he has fallen. It was Gandalf that brought the first tidings. With a handful of horsemen he came in the middle morning riding his escort to a line of wains. They were filled with wounded men, all that could be saved from the wreck of the causeway forts. At once he went to Denethor. The lord of the city sat now in a high chamber above the hall of the white tower with Pippin at his side, and through the dim windows north and south and east he bent his dark eyes as if to pierce the shadows of doom that ringed around him. Most to the north he looked, and would pause at while to listen as if by ancient art his ears might hear the thunder of hooves in the plains far away. "'Has Faramir come?' he asked. No, said Gandalf, but he still lived when I left him, yet he has resolved to stay with the rearguard, lest the retreat over the Pelinor become a rout. He may perhaps hold his men together long enough, but I doubt it. He has pitted against a foe too great, for one has come that I feared. Not the Dark Lord, cried Pippin, forgetting his place in terror. Denethor laughed bitterly. Nay, not yet, Master Peregrine. He will not come save only to triumph over me when all is one. He uses others as his weapons. So do all great lords, if they are wise, master halfling. Or why should I sit here in my tower and think and watch and wait, spending even my sons? For I can still wield a brand. He stood up and cast open his long black coat, cloak, and behold, he was clad in mail beneath, and girt with a long sword, a great hilted in the sheath of black and silver. Thus I have walked, and thus now for many years have I slept, he said, lest with age the body should grow stiff and soft and timid. Yet now, under the lord of Barandor, the most fell of all his captains is already master of your outer walls, said Gandalf. King of Angmar long ago, sorcerer, ringwraith, lord of the Nazgul, a spear of terror in the hand of Sauron, shadow of despair. Then, Mithundrea, you have a foe to match you, said Denethor. For myself, I have long known who is chief and captain of the hosts of the Dark Tower. Is this all you've returned to tell me? Or can it be that you've withdrawn because you're overmatched, Pippin trembled, fearing that Gandalf would be stung at sudden wrath, but his fear was needless. It might be so, answered Gandalf softly, but our trial of strength is not yet come, and if words spoken of old be true, not by the hand of man shall he fall, and the hidden from the wise is the doom that awaits him. However that may be, the captain of despair does not press forward yet. He rules, rather, according to wisdom that you have just spoken, from the rear driving his slaves in madness before him. Nay, I come rather to guard the hurt men that yet can be healed, for the Ramas is breached far and wide, and soon the host of Morgul will enter at many points. And I came chiefly to say this, soon there will be a battle on the fields, a sortie must be made ready. Let it be of mounted men, in them lies our brief hope, for in one thing only is the enemy still poorly provided, he has few horsemen. But we also have few. Now with the coming of Rohan be in the nick of time, said Denethor. We are likely to see other newcomers first, said Gandalf. Fugitives from Carondross have already reached us. The isle has fallen. Another army has come from the Black Gate, crossing from the northeast. Some have accused you, Mithandra, of delighting to bear ill news, said Denethor. But to me this is no longer news. It is known to me ere nightfall yesterday. As for the sortie, I had already given them through to it. Let's go to, go to them. Time passed. At length, watchers on the walls could see the retreat of the out-companies. Small bands of weary and often wounded men came first with little order. Some were running wildly as if pursued. Away to the eastward in the distance, fires flickered. And now it seemed that here and there they crept across the plain. Houses and barns were burning. Then from many points little rivers of red flame came hurrying on winding through the gloom, converging towards the line of the broad road that led from the city gate to Osciliath. The enemy, men murmured, the dike is done. Here they come pouring through the breaches, and they carry torches, it seems. Where are our own folk? It drew now to evening by the hour, and the light was so dim that even far sighted men upon the citadel could discern little clearly upon the fields, save only the burnings that ever multiplied and the lines of fire that grew in length and speed. At last, less than a mile from the city, a more ordered mass of men came into view, marching, not running, still holding together. The watchers held their breath. Faramir must be there, they said. He can govern man and beast. He'll make it yet. Now the main retreat was scarcely two furlongs distant. Out of the gloom behind a small company of horsemen galloped all that was left of the rear gap. All that was left of the rearguard. Once again they turned at bay, facing the oncoming lines of fire. Then suddenly there was a tumult of fierce cries. Horsemen of the enemy swept up. The lines of fire became flowing torrents, file upon file of orcs bearing flames and wild southern men with red banners shouting with harsh tongues, surging up, overtaking the retreat. And with piercing cry out of the dim sky fell the winged shadows, the Nazgul stooped to kill. The retreat became a rout. Already men were breaking away, flying wild and witless here and there, flinging away their weapons, crying out in fear, falling falling to the ground. And then a trumpet rang from the citadel, and Denethor at last released the sortie. Drawn up within the shadow of the gate and under the looming walls outside, they had waited for a signal, all the mounted men that were left in the city. Now they sprang forward, formed quick into a gallop and charged with great shout. And from the walls an answering shout went up, for foremost in the field rode the swan knights of Dolomroth with their prince with his blue banner at their head. Amroth for Gondor, they cried. Amroth to Faramir. Like thunder they broke upon the enemy on either flank of the retreat, but one rider outran them all, swift as the wind in the grass. Shadowfax bore him, shining, unveiled once more, a light starting from his upright hand. The Nazgul screeched and wept away, for their swept away, for their captain was not yet come to challenge the white fire of his foe. The host of Morgul intended on their prey, taking it unawares the wild career, broke, scattering like sparks in a gale. The out-companies with their great cheer turned and smote their pursuers. Hunters became the hunted. The retreat became an onslaught. The field was strewn with stricken orcs and men, and reek arose of torches cast away, sputtering out in swirling smoke. The cavalry rode on. But Denethor did not permit them to go far. Though the enemy was checked and for the moment driven back, a great force was flying in from the east. Again the trumpet rang, sounding the retreat. The cavalry of Gondor halted. Behind their screen their out companies reformed. Now steadily they came marching back. They reached the gate of the city and entered, stepping proudly. And proudly the people of the city looked on them and cried their praise. And yet they were troubled in heart, for the companies were grievously reduced. Faramir had lost a third of his men, and where was he? Last of all, he came. His men passed in. The mounted knights returned, and in their rear the banner of Dolomroth and the prince. And in his arms before him on his horse, he bore the body of his kinsman. Faramir, son of Denethor, found upon the stricken field. Faramir! The men cried, weeping in the streets, but he did not answer, and they bore him away up the winding road to the citadel and his father. Even as the Nuzgul had swerved aside from the onset of the white rider, there came a flying, a deadly dart, and Faramir, as he held at bay a mounted champion of the Harad, had fallen to the earth. Only the charge of Dolhamroth had saved him from the red southern swords that would have hewed him as he lay. The prince Imrahil brought Faramir to the white tower and he said, Your son has returned, after great deeds. And he told all that he had seen. But Denethor rose and looked in the face of his son, and was silent. Then he bade him make a bed in the chamber, and lay found upon it, and depart. But he himself went up alone into the secret room under the summit of the tower, and many who looked up thither at that time saw a pale light that gleamed and flickered from narrow windows for a while, and then flashed and went out. And when Denethor descended again, he went to Faramir and sat beside him without speaking. But the face of the lord was grey, more death-like than his sons. So now at last the city was besieged. Enclosed in a ring of foes, the Ramas was broken, and all the Palinor abandoned to the enemy. The last word to come from outside the walls was brought by men flying down the northward road ere the gate was shut. They were the remnant of the guard that was kept at the point where the way of Anurin and Rohan ran into the townlands. Ingold led them, the same who admitted Gandalf and Pippin less than five days before, while the sun still rose and there was hope in the morning. There is no news of the Reheum, they said. Rohan will not come now, or if they come, it will not avail us. The new host that we had tidings of has come first, from over the river by way of Andros, it said. They are strong, battalions of orcs of the eye, and countless companions of men of a new sort that we've not met before, not tall but broad and grim, bearded like dwarves, and wielding great axes, out of some savage land in the wide east they come. We deem. They hold the northward road, and many have passed on to Onorian. the rahim cannot come. The gate was shut. All night watchmen on the walls heard the rumour of the enemy that roamed about outside, burning field and tree and hewing any man that they found abroad, living or dead. The numbers that had already passed over the river could not be guessed in the darkness, but when the morning, or its dim shadow, stole over the plain, it was seen that even fear by night had scarcely overcounted them. The plain was dark with their marching companies, and as far as eyes could strain, the murk was sprouted like foul fungus growth, all about the beleaguered city, great camps of tents, black or sombre red. Busy as ants hurrying, orcs were digging, digging lines of deep trenches in a huge ring just outside bow shot from the walls, as the trenches were made each day, filled with fire, though how it was kindled or fed or by art or devilry, none could see. All day the labour went forward, while the men of Minas Tirith looked on, unable to hinder it. And as each length of trench was completed, they could see great wains approaching, and soon yet more companies of the enemy were swiftly setting up, each behind the cover of a trench, great engines for the casting of missiles. There was none upon the city walls large enough to reach so far or stay the work. At first men laughed and did not greatly fear such devices, for the main wall of the city was of great height and marvellous thickness, built ere the power and craft of Numenor waned in exile, and its outward face was like to the tower of Orthnark, hard and dark and smooth, unconquerable by steel or fire unbreakable except by some convulsion that would rend the very earth on which it stood. Nay, they said, not if the nameless one himself should come, not even he could enter here while we yet live. And some answered, while we yet live, how long? He has a weapon that has brought low many strong places since the world began. Hunger. The roads are cut. Rohan won't come. But the engines do not waste shot upon the indomitable war. There was no brigand or orc chieftain that ordered the assault upon the lord of Mondor's greatest foe. A power of mind and malice guided it. As soon as the great catapults were set, with many yells and creaking of rope and winch, they began to throw missiles marvellously high, so that they passed right above the battlement and fell thudding within the first circle of the city. And many of them, by some secret art, burst into flame as soon as they come toppling down. Soon there was a great peril of fire behind the wall and all who could be spared were busy quelling the flames that sprang up in many places. Then among the greater cast there fell another hail, less ruinous but more horrible. All about the streets and lanes behind the gate it tumbled down, small round shot that did not burn. But when men ran to learn what it might be, they cried aloud and wept. For the enemy was flinging into the city all the heads of those who had fallen fighting at Oscaliath, or in at Ramas, or in the fields. They were grim to look on. For though some were crushed and shapeless, and some had been cruelly hewn, yet many had features that could be told, and it seemed that they had died in pain, and all were branded with the foul token of the liveless eye. But marred and dishonoured as they were, it often chanced that thus a man would see again the face of someone they had known, who had walked proudly once in the arms, or tilled the fields, or ridden upon a holiday from the green vales and the hills. In vain men shook their fists at the pitiless foes that swarmed before the gate. Curses they heeded not, nor understood the tongues of Western men, crying with harsh voices like beasts and carrion birds. But soon there were few left in Minas Tirith the heart to stand up and defy the hosts of Mordor. For yet another weapon, swifter than hunger, the lord of the dark tower had. Dread and despair. The Nazgul came again, and as their dark lord now grew and put forth his strength, so their voices, which uttered only his will and malice, were filled with evil and horror. Ever They circled above the city like vultures that expected their fill of doomed men's flesh Out of sight and shot they flew And yet they were ever present and their deadly voices rent the air More unbearable they became, not less, at each new cry At length even the stout-hearted would fling themselves to the ground As the hidden menace passed over them Or they would stand, letting their weapons fall from nerveless hands While into their minds a blackness came And they thought no more of war only of hiding and of crawling and of death. During this all black day, Faramir lay upon his bed in the chamber of the White Tower, wandering in desperate fever, dying, someone said, and soon dying, all men were saying upon the walls and the streets. And by him his father sat and said nothing but watched and gave no longer any heed to the defence. No hours so dark had Pippin known, not even in the clutches of the Urukai. It was his duty to wait upon the Lord, and wait he did, forgotten it seemed, standing by the door of the unlit chamber, mastering his own fears as best as he could. And as he watched, it seemed to him that Denethor grew old before his eyes, as if something had snapped in his proud will, and a stern mind was overthrown. Grief, maybe, had wrought it, and remorse. He saw tears on that once tearless face, more unbearable than wrath. Do not weep, Lord, he stammered. Perhaps he'll get well. Have you asked Gandalf? Comfort me not with wizards, said Denethor. The fool's hope has failed. The enemy has found it, and now his power waxes. He sees our very thoughts, and all we do is ruinous. I sent my son forth, unthanked, unblessed, out into the needless peril, and here he lies with poison in his veins. Nay, nay, whatever may now be betide in war, my line is too ending. Even the house of the stewards has failed. Mean folk shall rule the last remnant of the kings of men, lurking in the hills until all are hounded out. Men will come to the door crying for the lord of the city. Nay, I will not come down, he said. I must stay beside my son. He might still speak before the end, but that is near. Follow whom you will, even the grave fool, though his hope has failed. Here I stay. So it was that Gandalf took command of the last defence of the city of Gondor. Wherever he came, men's hearts would lift again, and the winged shadows passed from memory. Tirelessly he strove from citadel to gate, from north to south about the wall, and with him went the prince of doth o -o, -o Dol Dolomoth, and his shining mail. For he and his knights still held themselves like lords in whom the race of Numenor trang true. Men that saw them whispered, saying, But like the old tales speak well. There is elvish blood in the veins of those folks, for the people of Nimrodal dwelt into that land long ago. And then one would sing amid the glooms and staves of the Lay of Nimrodal, or the other songs of the vale of Undo and other vanished years. And yet, when they had gone, the shadows closed on them again, and their hearts went cold, and the valour of Gondor withered in ash and so slowly they passed out of a dim day of fears into darkness of desperate night. Fires now raged unchecked in the first circle of the city, and the garrison upon the outer wall was already in many places cut off from retreat. But the faithful who remained there at their post were few. Most had fled beyond the second gate. Far far behind the battle, the river had been swiftly bridged, and all day more force and gear of war had poured across it. Now at last, in the middle of night, the assault was loosed. The vanguard passed through the trenches of fire by many devious paths that had been left between them. On they came, reckless of their loss as they approached, still bunched and herded within the range of bowmen on the wall. But indeed, there were too few now left there to do them great damage, though the light of the fires showed up many a mark of archers such skill of Gondor had once boasted. Then, perceiving that the valour of the city was already beaten down, the hidden captain put forth his strength. Slowly, the great siege towers built in Osciliath rolled forward in the dark. Messages came again in the chamber of the white tower, and Pippin let them enter, for they were urgent. Denethor turned his head slowly from Faramir's face and looked at them silently. "'The first circle of the city is burning, my lord,' they said. "'What are your commands?' "'You are still lord and steward.' Not all will follow Meranthro. Men are flying from the walls and leaving them unmanned. Why? Why do the fools fly, said Denethor? Better to burn sooner than late, for burn we will. Go back to your bonfire. And I? I will go to my pyre, to my pyre. No tomb for Denethor and Faramir. No tomb. No long, slow sleep of death embalmed. We will burn like heathen kings ever before a ship ever sailed hither from the west. The West has failed. Go back and burn. <laughs> the messages without bow or answer turned and fled. Now Denether stood up and released his fevered hand, released the fevered hand of Faramir. He's burning. He's already burning, he said sadly. The house of his spirit crumbles. Then stepping softly towards Pippin, he looked down at him. Farewell, he said. Farewell, peregrine son of Paladin. Your service has been short and now it is drawing to an end. I release you from the little that remains. Go and die in whatever way seems best to you. And with whom you will, since that friend whose folly brought you to this death. Send for my servants and go. Farewell. I will not say farewell, my lord, said Pippin, kneeling. Then suddenly hobbit-like once more, he stood up and looked at the old man in the eyes. I will take your leave, sir, he said, for I will not see Gandalf very much indeed. But he is no fool, and I will not think of dying until he despairs of life. But from my word and your service, I do not wish to be released while you live. And if they come at last to the citadel, I hope to be here and stand beside you and perhaps earn the alms that you have given me. Oh, do as you will, master halfling, said Denethor, but my life is broken. Send for my servants. He turned back to Faramir. Pippin left him and called for the servants, and they came. Six men of the household, strong and fair, yet they trembled at the summons. In a quiet voice, Denethor bade them lay warm coverlets and found and bed and take it up. They did so. Lifting up the bed, they bore him from the chamber. Slowly they paced to trouble the fevered man, as little as might be. And Denethor, now bending on a staff, followed them, and last came Pippin. Out from the white tower they walked as if to a funeral, out into the darkness, where the overhanging cloud was lit beneath with flickers of dull red. Softly they paced the great courtyard, and at a word from Denethor they halted beside the withered tree. All was silent, save for the rumour of war in the city down below, and they heard the water dripping sadly from the dead branches into the dead pool. The dark pool, sorry. Then they went on to the citadel gate, where the sentinel stared at them in wonder and dismay as they passed by. Turning westward, they came at length to a door in the rearward wall of the sixth circle. Fen Holland, it was called, for it was kept ever shut to save, save at the time of funeral, and only the lord of the city might use that way, or those who bore the token of the tombs and tended the houses of the dead. Beyond it went a winding road that descended in many curves down to the narrow land under the shadow of the Minderland's precipice where stood the mansions of the dead kings and of their stewards. A porter sat in the little house beside the way and with fear in his eyes he came forth bearing a lantern in his hand. At the Lord's command he unlocked the door and silently it swung back and they passed through taking the lantern from his hand. It was dark, and on the climbing road between the ancient walls and the many-pillared bolsters, looming in the swaying lantern beam, their slow feet echoed as they walked down, down, until at last they came to the silent street, Rathdenian, between pale domes and empty halls and images of men long dead, they entered into the house of the stewards and set down their burden. There, Pippin, staring uneasily about him, saw that he was in a wide vaulted chamber, draped as it were with great shadows that the little lantern threw upon its shrouded walls. And dimly to be seen were many rows of tables carved in marble, and upon each table lay it a sleeping form, hands folded, head pillowed upon stone. For one table near at hand stood broad and bare. Upon it, at a sign from Denethor, they laid Faramir and on the farther side by side, and covered them with one covering and stood then with bowed heads as mourners beside a bed of death. Then Denethor spoke in a low voice. Here we will wait, he said. Send not from an embalmers. Bring us wood quickly to burn. Lay it about us, and beneath, and pour oil upon it. And when I bid you, thrust in a torch. Do this and speak no more to me. Farewell. By your leave, Lord, said Pippin, and turned and fled in terror from the deathly house. Poor Faramir, he thought. I must find Gandalf, poor Faramir. Quite likely he needs medicine more than tears. Where can I find Gandalf? In the thicker things, I suppose, and who have no time to spare for dying men or madmen. At the door he turned one of the servants who had remained on guard there. Your master is not himself, he said. Go. Bring no fires to this place, while Faramir lives. Go slowly. Do nothing until Gandalf comes. "'Who is the master of Minas Tirith?' the man answered. "'The Lord Dinnithir or the Grey Wanderer?' "'The Grey Wanderer or no one, it would seem,' said Pippin, "'and he sped back up the winding way as swiftly as his feet would carry him, "'past the astonished porter, out through the door, "'and on and on till he came near the gate of the citadel. "'The sentinel halted him as he went by, "'and he recognised the voice of Beregond. "Whither do you run, Master Peregrine?' he cried. "'To find Mithundra,' Pippin answered.' Lord's errands are urgent and should not be hindered by me, said Berrigan, but tell me quickly, if you may, what goes forward? Whither has my lord gone? If you have just come on duty, I have just come on duty, but I've heard he passed towards the closed door, and men were bearing Faramir before him. Yes, said Pippin, to the silent street. Berrigan bowed his head and hid his tears. They said he was dying, and now he is dead. No, said Pippin, not yet, and even now his death might be prevented, I think. But the lord of the city, Beragon, has fallen before his city is taken. He is fey and dangerous. Quickly, he told with strange words and deeds. I must find Gandalf at once. Then you must go down to the battle. I know, the lord has given me leave, but Beragon, if you can, do something to stop any dreadful thing from happening. The Lord does not permit those who wear black and silver to leave their post for any cause, save his own command. Well, you must choose between orders and the life of Faramir, said Pippin, and as for orders, I think you have a madman to deal with, not a lord. I must run. I'll return if I can. He ran on, down, down towards the outer city, men flying back from the burning passed him, and some seeing his livery turned and shouted, but he paid no heed. At last he was through the second gate, beyond which great fires leapt up between the walls yet it seemed strangely silent. No noise or shouts of battle or dins of arms could be heard. Then suddenly there was a dreadful cry and a great shock and a terrible echoing boom. Forcing himself on against a gust of fear and horror that shook him almost to his knees, Pippin turned a corner, opening on the wide place beside the city gate. He stopped dead. He found Gandalf but shrank back, covering into a shower, uh, cowering into a shadow. Ever since the middle night the great assault had gone on, the drums rolled. To the north and to the south, company upon company of enemy pressed to the walls. There came great beasts like moving houses in the red and fitful light. The mumakil of the hara dragging through the lanes amid the fires, huge towers and engines. Yet their captain cared not greatly what they did or how they might be slain. Their purpose was only to test the strength of defence and keep the men of Gondor busy in many places. It was against the gate that he would throw his heaviest weight. Very strong it might be, wrought of steel and iron, and guarded with towers and bastions of indomitable stone, yet it was the key, the weakest point in all that high and impenetrable wall. The drums rolled louder, fires leapt up, great engines crawled across the fields, and in the midst was a huge ram, great as a forestry, a hundred feet in length, swinging on mighty chains. Long had it been forging in the dark smithies of Mordor and its hideous head founded of black steel was shaped in the likeness of a ravening wolf on its spells of ruin lay. Grond they named it in memory of Hammer of the Underworld of old. Great beasts drew to it orcs surrounded it and behind walked a mountain trolls to wield it. But about the gate resistance was still stout and there was there the knights of Dolmroth and the hardiest of the garrison stood at bay. Shot and dart felt thick, fell thick, siege towers crashed or blazed suddenly like torches, and all before the walls on either side of the gate the ground was choked with the wreck and with bodies of the slain, yet still driven as by madness more and more came up. Grond crawled on, upon its housing no fire would catch, and though now and again some great beast that hauled it would go mad and spread stamping roan amongst the orcs numeral that guarded it, their bodies were cast aside from its path and others took their place. Grond crawled on, the drums rolled wildly. Over the hills of Slain, a hideous shape appeared, a horseman, tall, hooded, cloaked and black. Slowly, trampling the fallen, he rode forth, heeding no longer any dart. He halted and held up a long, pale sword, and as he did so, a great fear fell on all, defender and foe alike and the hands of men drooped to their sides, and no bow bow sang. For a moment, all was still. The drums rolled and rattled. With a vast rush, Grand was hurled forward by huge hands. It reached the gate. It swung. A deep boom rumbled through the city like thunder running into clouds, but the doors of iron and posts of steel withstood the stroke. Then the black captain rose in his stirrups and cried aloud in a dreadful voice, speaking in some forgotten tongue words of power and terror to rend both heart and stone. Thrice, he cried, thrice the great ram boomed, and suddenly upon the last stroke of the gate, stroke, the gate of Gondor broke. As if stricken by some blasting spell It burst asunder, there was a flash of searing lightning, and the doors tumbled and riven fragments on the ground. In rode the Lord of Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires upon beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the Lord of Nazgul under the archway that no enemy had ever yet passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. There, waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone amongst the free horses of the earth, endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast, as a graven image of Rathdanian. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. The black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown. And yet upon it no head visible was it set. Yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fires shone between it and the mantled shoulders, vast and dark. From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. (laughs) You old fool! Old fool! This is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted his high sword and flames ran down the blade. Gandalf did not move. And in that very moment, away behind some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear he crowed, wreaking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if an answer there came from far away another note. Horns. Horns, horns. In dark Mendelian sighs they dimly echoed, great horns of the north wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last.